Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We want to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at this passage here in just a few moments. But uh, before we do, what day is it next Sunday? Somebody tell me. Oh, Mother's Day. Now, there's a difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day. You know that, right? Yeah, because one's for mothers and one's for fathers. But, um, you know, Dad is sort of like, uh, what do we want to do for, for uh, Father's Day? Well, let's go down to the beach. Let's take a little vacation. Let's take a little time off. Let me sleep late. You know, <clears throat> not exactly <clears throat> perfect spiritual leadership. But Mom, on the other hand, wants the kids in church. And you've got ways of getting them there. You know, when they turn you down, you say things like, I carried you for nine months. <laughs> Risked my life and blew your nose and changed your... And you won't do this one thing for me? And, of course, they end up coming. Hey, anything works. That's all I say, you know. But next week is a great week to invite people to come. A little baby dedication time and also... Um, Honoring our moms, and it's a very special day for them. And so whether it's a mom that you want to invite to honor them, or uh, some of you moms getting your, uh, some of your grown children in church, be a wonderful time for them as we address that issue. A living sacrifice is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 1. You see the ministry booths I mentioned before, right out here in the atrium. And you're wondering to yourself, man, you know, why serve the Lord? Why, why do that? I mean, is this salvation on the installment plan? I thought that salvation was free. You preach about that all the time. Salvation's free. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. His blood paid for our sins. And now, it's sort of like the installment plan. You know, you, yeah, you do get saved, but then you have to work for it. No, please don't. Please understand, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we, we never work for our salvation. But how, however... Once the Holy Spirit of God has come into our heart at salvation, he gives us spiritual gifts, and he gives us a spiritual desire to serve God by serving other people. Now, what I want to share with you this morning is that as a pastor, I not only want you uh, to serve God as far as serving and benefiting other people around you, but also for your benefit as well. As you remember, we often put up the baseball diamond, and uh, if we can throw that up maybe on the screen right now, yes. This is uh, what we're doing as a church. We're reaching people for Christ, teaching them how to walk with God. We do that in the pulpit. We do that in small groups. And then service. Service is necessary for you and I to grow in the Lord. Without that, we'll never be spiritually mature as Christians. And so basically I want to share with you this morning. That first of all, since we're a body of Christ... We will never be all that we can be without you serving. At the same time, you will never be all you can be without serving the Lord as well. And so service and ministry is a way to grow our faith in the Lord. And somebody says, well, wait a minute. I'm willing to serve God, but I want to go out here in the community and do it. I want to paint houses, and I want to mow grass and, and things like that. And, you know, you're interested this morning, and you've preached on all, all that stuff before, but you're interested this morning in getting me to serve inside the church. It seems, I don't know, rather selfish. It seems like you're just sort of we're spending all our time on ourselves. Well, is that right? Is that the right thing to do? Is that God's calling, part of God's calling in our life? Well, let's address this 
this morning in Romans chapter 12. And as we open up this passage, understand the first 11 chapters of Romans is about salvation. It's about what it means to be saved and all the stuff that goes with it. Now, Romans 12 through 16 is an application of that. Remember what we said, you don't serve God to get saved, but you serve God because you are saved. Well, this is exactly what Romans is, is following. Paul's thought is, let me share with you a church I've never been to before, the most important church maybe in the kingdom back in that time. I want to share with you about salvation. Now I want to share with you what you need to do with that salvation. And so we look at this, uh, this passage really in three points. Number one, our service, three reasons to serve God. Our service is an act of worship. Our service is a product of our transformation. And finally, our service is expression of God's power. First of all, our service is an act of our worship. He says in verse 12, therefore, and he's talking here about everything in the book of Romans so far, chapters 1 through 11. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. This is not a, exactly a command, but it's pretty close to it. He's urging them. He's trying to persuade them with, with the very most, most powerful thing that he could possibly say. And then he's saying, by the mercies of God. And this is pointing back, again, to Romans chapters 1 through 11, where he's talking about the mercy of God that saved you, that, that God came into your life. Now, when you think about it, as he's looking at this entire passage, as we're looking at it, rather, Paul has to be thinking to himself, look at all the people that came into my life in my story. Everyone here that has been saved has a story. You have a testimony. And you can think back in your life of the different people that had an impact in your life. They're, they're part of your story. And so he's saying here, as these people have become a part of your story by the mercies of God, you need to become part of their story as well. Notice what he says. He says, present your bodies. Bodies, what does he mean by that? Well, it's more than just, he's really talking more about, uh, less about just our physical body. And he's talking about our whole life. Everything that involves in our life, he says, I want you to present your life as a living sacrifice. That's what he's saying, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, when he's looking at this passage, and we're looking at it, Paul is drawing from a lot of the Old Testament uh, passages about sacrifices. And in, even in the uh, nation of Rome, even in the Gentile world, they had sacrifices, and they did different things as well for sacrifices, for sins, and, and they sacrificed to different gods. And so the readers of this passage understood exactly what Paul was talking about when he's talking about putting a body on an altar for a sacrifice. Now the difference is, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the difference is this is a living sacrifice. Now in the Old Testament, when you sacrifice, say, an animal on the altar for your sins of the coming year, it was just temporary. In fact, it, is burn, it burned up and it was done. The sacrifice was over. You walked off until the next time you would come back and sacrifice to the Lord. This, however, he says, is an ongoing sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. It's one that, yes, you do have crises of decisions. You've had those. Even as a believer, you've come to a service like this or you've been laying in your bed one night or down on your knees uh, beside the couch um, at home. You've had crisis experience in your life where you've lost a loved one, and it's caused you, something in your life has caused you to have a rededication of the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. 
This is including that, but it's more than that. It's saying, I'm making the crisis of decision, the actual sacrifice on the altar, but then it keeps on living as I need to live that sacrifice every single day. So it's an ongoing thing. He says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's basically saying, as a person would let go of the sacrifice. Maybe they'd have a sheep. It was perfect in every way. They would... The very best that they had, they put on the altar. What would they have to do? They'd have to let it go. And Paul is saying here, let go of your life. And I share with you an illustration, a little story about a year ago. Those of you who were here, about a 16-year-old girl, John Gershner, as a matter of fact, tells a story. A 16-year-old girl was going uh, in a camp, and was at a camp, and she decided that she was going to be a missionary. In fact, she was going to dedicate her life to the Lord, and have the most, you know, heroic uh, thing that you could do for God, the biggest sacrifice you can do uh, back in that day, and he, she was going to be a missionary. So she went to uh, a Bible college, even though it meant sacrificing maybe, uh, you know, other careers, and she was kind of all in. You know, you go, you do something like that, you're kind of all into that, and that's what she was. And then she was going to go to a missionary college, which would be uh, similar to our seminary today, but in between, she was at this missionary conference, and she found, she found out that in order to be a missionary in her denomination back in that day, especially in Asia, where she wanted to go, she would have to be married. And it had to do with some denominational things, but it had basically to do some, somewhat with safety as well for a single woman to be out on the mission field back in that day in an Asian country. And so she thought to herself, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. In fact, I'm going to be a missionary in Asia, in an Asian country, and all you have to do is supply me with a husband. That's it. That's the deal. And so she went to finish Bible college. She went on to seminary or the missionary college. And the night before graduation, she had no husband, no engagement, no prospects. And she was angry. She was angry with God because she had made this deal with God. God, all you have to do is supply me a husband. I don't know the background of the story. That may have been her goal all along. I don't know, okay, to get, get the husband. God, I'll make a deal with you. But she had envisioned in her life this heroic life, the most heroic life that she could possibly spend for God, to go out on the mission field, to spend it all for Jesus, and God had let her down. Then she realized that she had never really taken her hands off of her life. She had made this deal with God and she put a stipulation on God. God, I will do this for you, but you have to do this for me. And she said that moment, she took her hands off of her life. And for the first time in her life, she really felt free. Now my question, my only question to that is this. If here's a young woman at 16 years old, now she's in her early 20s, has suddenly realized with everything that she's gone through, everything that she's sacrificed, she has not taken her hands off her life, then what about you and me? What about us? This is what Paul's talking about. He says, I want you to take your hands off your life and make your life a living sacrifice because he says, why? It's, it's acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, this word spiritual can also mean reasonable. And so let's just say it means both. It means both. In the original Greek, it's a reasonable thing to do because of all what Jesus Christ has done for you 
and it's also a spiritual sign of worship as well. Now, this, I know this runs against the grain of all of American mindset. You know, Americans, you know, uh, maybe above anybody else in the world, we want to be independent. We say, look, I don't want to give my life to anybody, to God or anybody else. I want to be independent. But listen, you and I both know that something's on the throne in our life. And it could be just simply independence. Well, I'm going to be independent no matter what. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have any family ties. I'm just going to be independent. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And you reach the end of your life, understand that you, you die in loneliness. And you die alone. All because you had independence on the throne of your life. And so no matter what you think about your life, if you were to really do this and spend an hour of your time thinking, no, this is really what's, what's important to me, and, and it's me, it's me, it's me. No, it's, it's not necessarily all you. It's something that you want that's on the throne of your life. And all of us here could analyze that and find out what that is that we wrestle with. And he's saying, look, this is your spiritual service of worship. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says this, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual sacrifice for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, the priest did all the work. It's a very passive thing. The priest would do all the sacrifice, they'd do all the work, and the people would just sort of watch what was going on. And he said, that's Old Testament. Now that the Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside of our heart, all of us are priests. All of us do, as it were, the spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And so here we find that Paul is saying, look, God is, should be Lord of your life. You need to take your hands off your life. And what happens when you do that? Well, the royal priesthood in, in you begins to take over, and you do spiritual work for God the way the priests did in the Old Testament because we're all priests. Now, what are the re result of all this service? Well, we become part of somebody else's story. We become part of what is going on in somebody else's life. Somebody's going to have a testimony that mentions you in that testimony. Just like someone helped you, you're helping someone else. It also means that we are fulfilled in the Lord. We grow in Christ. Now, many of you know just a simple, it's just a simple thing about exercise and diet. In order to, to be in shape, in order to be healthy, you not only need to eat well, but you need to exercise as well also. If all you're doing is eating and you're never going to exercise, like most Americans, I guess, is that you're going to get bloated. You're just going to get big. If all you do is exercise, but you don't eat enough, you're going to become malnourished. You're, and, and, you know, there's some people in the church, serve, 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 and serve. And they serve so much, they're not even in the worship service. They don't go, either that or they don't go to small group. And that you, need, you have to have one of the two. And, and therefore, they're just sort of malnourished, and they burn out after a while. In fact, there's three different types of Christians in any church. There's the, the bloated ones, and that's many of them. There's also the burnout Christians, which oftentimes happens, if we were to be honest, with everything else going on in our life, particularly since uh, the recession started years ago. And now we're working more and more and more and more and more. And we're sort of burnt out. And we just don't have time, we feel like, to really serve God in any meaningful way. And then, of course, there's the balanced Christian, which means you're getting not only a steady diet of God's Word, but you're also 
working for him. And so we become part of somebody else's story. We become fulfilled and growing in Christ and the Holy Spirit, and we glorify God as well. And so secondly, he says in verse 2, our service is not only a product or, or is not only an act of worship, which is reasonable and spiritual in our life, but he also says that this is also a product of our transformation. Let's look in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First it talks about the body. Now it talks about the mind. This word transform, we get our word metamorphosis from, and it's used in the Mount of Transfiguration when uh, Elijah and Moses came down to the earth. And it says, we, we read in Hebrews eleven six. look with me. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I shared with you last week that the most challenging thing in my life, and I think the most challenging thing in your life as well, is to live this verse every day. That we believe that if we seek him, God's going to take care of everything else. If we seek him, he is going to reward those who seek him. If I lived that verse, if you lived that verse, we wouldn't worry about things. We wouldn't be stressed out about things. We wouldn't worry about the outcome of decisions in our life. Because we're trusting him, we're seeking him. That's my job. If I'm seeking him, then this ought to follow the rewarder of those who seek him. But Paul is saying in order to live that, there must be a transformation of faith through the mind because beliefs determine our behavior in life. And he's saying the gospel of Romans 1 through 11 ought to permeate every single area of our life. The gospel message of Jesus Christ coming and dying on the cross for our sins, being raised on the third day, and because of that, the Holy Spirit is coming down to live inside of our heart, live inside of our life, give us gifts, gives us talent. That ought to permeate every single area of our life. And when we see that, nothing else should matter. I'm not saying, folks, that we're not living a life. I, I've been a dad. I've had three children that I raised. Pam and I raised, and we know about, all, all about the Little League games and the basketball games and school projects and all those kind of things that are necessary. We understand work as well. And Paul understands that. But then there's this thing about this pearl of great price that the Bible talks about, about being Christ. Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, Baptist preacher of the 19th century, tells a story, and he asks the question, what is important? And he says, suppose a doctor told you that you had, uh, I don't know, four months to live. Four months to live, and then you decided, well, I'm going to get I'm going to get a second opinion here. I'm going to get a second opinion. So you go and get a second opinion. And the doctor tells you, well, you can be cured, but the treatment is going to cost you a lot of money. As a matter of fact, you're going to have to sell your house. You're going to have to sell most of what you have to pay for this. Are you really willing to do that? Well, well of course you are. I mean, my goodness, you love your house. Maybe you've lived in there for 15 or 20 years. And, and you love the house, and it's, maybe it's paid for, or most of it. And you think to yourself, well, sure, I'll sell my house so I can be cured of this disease. You see, it's not the house is not important. The house is important. It's your home. Your belongings are things that you've earned, you've worked for. But compared to your life, it pales in comparison. And Paul is saying to us here today to be transformed by the renewing of your mind to know what really is important in life, what the will of God really is. 
And then he talks to us about this all being in the sense of community. Look in verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than you ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Again, he's talking about thinking through things. As God has allowed each a measure of faith, then he says, For just as we have been many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I want you to notice something here is very precious and something that we went over just several, well, just several weeks ago, and that is this. We must be in community in order to grow in Christ. You have to be. There are no individuals out there that are operating on their own that are really growing in the Lord. Now, think about it with me for just a moment. Did you really get in the condition you're in by yourself? I don't think so. Your parents had some, a positive effect on you maybe, but also... Your parents taught you some things maybe you shouldn't, shouldn't do. Your friends, what about your friends in school? All that peer pressure pulling at you in high school and in college. And what about the people that work around you and how they've influenced your life? You did not get where you are, in a negative sense, by yourself. How do we think we're going to get to where we need to be by ourselves? God says this. In, in 1 Peter again, he says, we are built up as a spiritual house, a royal priesthood. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. He's talking about something here as a corporate body together. Tim Keller has said it best, and I just paraphrase him, don't quote him, but I paraphrase it, by saying the true potential of a Christian cannot be realized outside a community of believers. Proverbs says this in 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, I know we are, we've had, um, for the last 15 years, a TV ministry, television ministry. We've also had an Internet ministry. I'm, I'm for all that. It's all really good. Um, but it, it's amazing to me that a, a great preacher in the last century and a great writer, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, for years refused to have his sermons recorded. Now, eventually he allowed that to happen, and we're grateful that he did. But if many, for many, many years, he would not allow them to be recorded because it was his belief, and rightfully so, that in order to get the most out of a message from God, you have to be in the place where it's delivered. And that's true. I'm not saying you can't get anything from television, from the iPad, iPod, whatever, you, you know, all the, all the things that are on the Internet. I'm not saying you can't grow in that. I've listened to those things, I, those sermons, many of them, and, and I've grown from but you just can't get it as though you're in the room. With God's people all around you, with the atmosphere there, with the Holy Spirit moving, you can't get the full brunt of the message unless you are there in the body of Christ. Do you agree with that? Say amen. amen. If you're think, going to think about it, would you say amen? Well, not too many on that. Okay. We invest in others in the church to help them grow, to mature in their faith, to face the world. Because the question is asked. And, you know, well, I think we ought to get outside the walls and serve. And we did that just a couple of weeks ago. We're going to do that again and again and again as we served five different schools here in the area. But what about 
the church, I mean the community of believers as you've come together. Christian growth is just not automatic. I know that you agree with that. You just can't simply say, I'm a believer, and 10 years from now, I'm going to have 10 years worth of maturity and 10 years worth of knowledge within me if you don't do anything, if there's nobody investing in your life. And so I want to ask you, somebody says, oh, I think it's just sinful for you to, you know, just, just serve within yourself. Let me ask, is it really sinful for us to take care of our babies in preschool? Is it wrong for us to give them a loving atmosphere where they're looking forward to coming to church? Is it wrong for us to teach our children in elementary school the basics of the Christian life and the basics of salvation, knowing that most of the time people make decisions about Christ in elementary school? Is it wrong for us to help our young people face the challenges that they face day in and day out in school, in middle school and high school, when they're wondering the three questions of life. Who am I? What am I here for? And where am I going? And the answers to those three questions are often made in middle school and especially high school. And because of that, kids are getting out and dropping out of church because they're coming up with the wrong answers. Is it wrong for us? as a body of Christ to invest in them in order to help them to face the world? I think not. What about our adults? Our adults face temptations every single day during the weekday. Is it wrong for us to invest in their life knowing that they're going to be facing these temptations and teaching them the Word of God and helping them and mentoring them and, and, and being accountable with them? Is it wrong for us to do that? I, I don't think so. The Bible teaches us that we come together. We come together. Growth is not automatic. We come together. We learn from one another. Iron sharpens iron. No one can be the Christian they need to be outside the community of God. We prepare ourselves, grow, our, grow ourselves together in Christ to go out into the world to make a difference. And without the strength building up in our life in the body of Christ, within the church, on a Sunday and on a Wednesday and other days of the week, we will not be able to accomplish that out in the world. We just won't. We prepare ourselves to meet the world. Now, what about us? Bloated, burnout, balanced. I've been to the Dead Sea over in Israel. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because the water's coming in, no water's going out. Is that where we are today? Some of, some of us? You know, water's coming in. I'm learning the word. I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. Pretty soon I'm not learning much anymore because nothing's going out, so God's not pulling anything in. But it's just sort of dead. Nothing can grow. We find that you and I are a product of this transformation in our life, knowing that Jesus Christ is making a difference. The Holy Spirit is moving in our heart, and therefore we're making a difference in life. But then, lastly, I want you to notice our service is an expression of God's power. Look with me in verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to grace given to us, each one of us has exercised them accordingly. If prophecy, this is preaching of the word according to the proportion of his faith, in service, it's not that no one should be serving. This is the guy that goes to Home Depot. You know, he's got a tool belt. He's ready to go. And uh, some people get fulfilled in that. Other people like to serve God in other ways. 
Or he who teaches in his teaching. He who exhorts, that's encouragement. You're an exhorter, you're an encourager. He, that he needs to be with exhortation. He who gives, everybody gives. But some people have the gift of giving. And they usually have the gift of making money as well. He says, those who give with liberality. Those who lead, many of us are leaders. If you're a father in the home, you're a leader. But these people have a special gift of leadership. He says, do it with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. And of course, that reminds me of uh, the two teenagers being caught kissing um, in the back of the bus. And the bus driver comes back and says, y'all cut that out. So what are you doing? He says, I'm just obeying Scripture, the boy said. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, it says, cling to that which is good. So anyway, <laughs> so I'd throw that out. Those of you who are waiting for something really corny. Um, here's the problem sometimes in our life. You know, you know everything I've been, maybe this is a new insight here to, to you, and I pray that there is. But all of us know, deep down, we ought to be serving God. But the problem is, we just put that off. We procrastinate. And John Maxwell has said it best, the reason we pro procrastinate is because we, know, we feel like the decision is going to bring about pain in our life. And so we just put it off. That's why when somebody comes up, makes a painful decision, you say, oh, boy, that was a courageous decision. That was really stepping out there on faith. Because we identify with the fact that if it causes pain, that's something we want to avoid. We want to put it off. And so it becomes an awkward thing. Somebody says, well, I feel kind of awkward serving, or I, I, I don't know whether it's going to work out for me. Well, well the, maybe I'm not successful at it. Well, you have to die to that a little bit because if, if being a success in the ministry is, is on the throne of your life, then success and failures up there on the throne, God wants to knock that off. It's competing with him. Now, everybody's going to feel awkward. I, I felt awkward the first time I've done anything in ministry, witnessing uh, or visiting a hospital to preaching. You have to get through the awkwardness. But there's a calling here that God makes in our life, and he gives us the resources. Notice the different spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift, by the way, is something you get when you're born again. The first time you're born, you get abilities, you get talent. And the second time you're born, you're born again by the Spirit of God, you get spiritual gifts. It's a supernatural ability given by God at salvation to serve the body of Christ for the glory of God. There's ten truths about spiritual gifts. I'll give them to you very quickly. Listen fast. Only believers have spiritual gifts. Everybody has a talent, but only believers have gifts. Every Christian has at least one gift. Most have more than one. No one receives all the gifts. That's why, uh, you know, even when you choose a staff member, for example, you have to choose what kind of gifts you want because nobody has all of them. No single gift is given to everyone, or er, yeah, everyone. The Holy Spirit decides who gives, uh, who, what gifts I get. Number six, I am to develop the gifts that God gives me. Seven, it's a sin to waste the gifts God gave me. And it is, when you think about it to yourself, if the Holy Spirit is giving you and I gifts and we don't use them, are we not quenching the Holy Spirit in our life? Just a thought. Using my spiritual gifts helps me to fulfill the perfect will of God in my life. My spiritual gifts help me to fit perfectly in the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are given for the building up the body of Christ and not for personal fulfillment. Now, what can be our response to this? So, well, I just need to discover my gift. Well, do you? How do you do that? 
People say, well, you take a gifts test, you got to pray about it, you got to wait on it. No, what you do is participate. You exercise, try out different things, and you participate by, by trial and error on what your gifts are. Missionaries do this. You know, you got young kids that uh, are, are young people. They go off on the mission field and they think to themselves, well, maybe I'm, I'm really called to this. But once they're there for a few weeks, they think, mm, you know, maybe this isn't it for me. Boy, isn't it great to know that before you go? And so you have trial and error. You, you say, I'm going to try this. In fact, four truths about the ministry. Every member, is a, every member is a minister. The Bible tells us that I'm no longer the priest here. Everybody's a priest. And Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that as a pastor, I'm to equip you for the, for the work of the ministry. It's not that I'm not supposed to do ministry myself, but all because I'm a priest, uh, just like you. A holy priesthood, all of us are priests as, as members of the body of Christ. So every member is a minister. Every believer has a gift. Every person and every ministry is important, and we need one another. There's people here in our community that only you can touch. There's people in our church that only you can reach. Otherwise, God wouldn't have put you here. And so, you say, well, gee, I don't, I don't know whether I want to participate in that ministry or not. It's got some challenges there, and I'm going to go over here and, and, and pick out one that doesn't have the challenges. Well, I remember what uh, somebody told me uh, years ago about taking a church as a pastor. And you think to yourself, well, that church has problems. Well, maybe they wouldn't need you if they didn't have problems. And so maybe you go to the most challenging ministry here and try that on for size. But you try on, on things for size by just simply, if I can put it this way, getting into the game. I'm always uh, accused of uh, all kinds of sports analogies, but here's another one. <clears throat> Y'all forgive me before I do this. But there are many times, uh, the, the spring game at one of, our one of the college teams here in the SEC I'm following, uh, had uh, a young wide receiver. He, so he played one position, but he was way back in the pack, uh, third or fourth string, and this particular team needed running backs for the spring because so many of them were hurt. And so he became a running back. He had done that a little bit in high school, but not much. He's basically a wide receiver and defensive back, but he played the running back position. Now, is that his, is that his permanent position? Well, no, but he wanted to get into the game. His team needed him in a certain place, so he wanted to get into the game. There's an Ohio State quarterback that was hurt for an entire year, Braxton Miller. He came back. He didn't think maybe he could compete for the quarterback position because there, two guys got ahead of him. He wanted to get into the game. He became a wide receiver, and now he's been drafted in the pros as a wide receiver. And so sometimes there's a new fit, and sometimes you just do something because your church needs you in that position. He said, well, I don't feel called to the children's ministry, the youth ministry necessarily, but maybe we need you right now in that ministry. And you need to try it on for size, getting into the game. We need greeters. We need ushers. We need preschool workers, choir members, uh, people involved in music, tech arts, uh, children, youth, all these things. And, and here's the thing. And you say, well, I'm not sure if uh, there's a big enough need in that ministry. It doesn't matter. You, you serve anyway. 
You know, oftentimes we talk as a staff and somebody will say, well, well, maybe we don't need to do that. It just take too many volunteers. And I'll say, no, we need to do that then because we need to provide people an opportunity to serve in a new voluntary area. So, see, it's not just a matter of us just punching things and putting people in place. It's a matter of maturing you in the Lord so you can have a, so therefore you can have a place in service and grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it's not just about the gift, folks. You find out your spiritual gift by participating. And we all have needs, and there's needs here just like there is in any other church. I mean, how would it be? If you went out this morning and we, we, you saw a, um, a little old lady, maybe. I shouldn't put it that way, little old lady. That sounds terrible. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, you saw a lady trip and fall down was obviously her knees were bleeding she was crying you know she's falling she can't get up you know that kind of thing and you go up to her and say oh no this is this is really terrible um i need to get somebody with a gift of mercy to help you up is anybody here with a gift of mercy or service I mean, you may you got the gift of service. You may not care about them that much, but you've got your two belt on, and you can get them up off the ground. I mean, anybody here, you know? Or the gift of mercy, and you're going to cry over them as you, as, you, as you get them up. Well, I can't find anybody with the gift of mercy, and I can't find anybody with the gift of service, so I tell you what, I'll just go get a staff member because he's paid to do it, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, I mean, he's got all the gifts, right? So he's, he's paid to do it. No, no, you wouldn't do that. You would help. The lady up. And you say, well, that's just not my gift. You know, what I need to do is I've got the gift of teaching. And I need to share with her the different views of the millennial kingdom. While she's while some, we're waiting on somebody with the gift of mercy. I can parse a few Greek words for them, you know, or something. I can do that. Invite them to my Sunday school class. Probably wouldn't go that far, but I could, you know, have something done here. No, you, you would help them up. Why? Because she has the need. So I want to ask you, what about you? What about you this morning? You say, well, I'm going to do this one day. No, if you don't do it now, you just won't do it. Because you're procrastinating because you feel like it's going to cause you pain. If I get involved in that ministry, I may never get out. That's not true. That's the devil's lie for you. If I get involved in that ministry... I may not do it well. That's ego. That's pride. God wants to knock that off the throne. If I get involved in that ministry, I may not like the person that I'm working for. Well, I find that very hard to believe. <laughs> you know. But you may, you, you may not. And you say, well, I need to go to another ministry. Or that person is going to rub you a little bit, and you're going to rub them, and iron's going to sharpen iron. You know what I'm saying? You need to get all that mess off the throne. And you need to realize that whenever you get involved, it's going to be a little awkward. You're going to have to learn something, maybe a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. And you need to get started somewhere. And we have ministries here to introduce you to the rest of the ministry. Jesus took his hands off his own life by going to the cross. Now, will you take your hands 
off yours for him. With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, perhaps you've never received Christ into your heart, and this morning you've understood now you don't have to work for your salvation, but God will change your heart, and then you can work because your life has been changed, once you're saved. And so you've never received Christ into your heart. Well, what a day for you. What, what a marvelous time for you as you can receive Christ into your heart right now. Do you want him? He gave it all up for you. Do you want him? If you do, pray this prayer with me silently as I pray aloud. In doing so, you're inviting Christ into your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up the door of my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me of everything that I've done. Make me the person that you want me to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand quietly together this morning. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ in my heart, you notice three, three gentlemen standing in front of you, three of our staff people, if you'd come and just simply say to them, I place my faith and I've placed my trust in Jesus Christ this morning. Take them by the hand. I prayed that prayer with the pastor any way you want to put it, and they'll pray for you right here. And we'll make sure you get what you need in order to grow as a Christian. Others want to come to the altar and just say, God, whatever is going on out here, maybe you're already a servant of the Lord. You don't need to sign up for anything this morning, but you just need to say, God, I want to take my hands anew and afresh off my life. I want to make my life, once again, a living sacrifice. The altar is open right now as we sing, you come.